Hi everybody, this is going to be another open episode, so I haven't fixed which kind of topics I would like to talk about, but I will start with some of my struggles and little insights on my, how shall I say, <laughs> spiritual path. I don't like this word at all, but I don't know an alternative. And this will probably lead me to other topics. Let's see. So I have recently told you that I have complemented my regular meditation practice with the practice of self-inquiry, a little bit Advaita Vedanta style. So normally I'm just focusing on my breath or I'm accepting anything which comes to mind without judging it, and without attaching to it. But now I'm in addition asking myself concrete questions. A typical question in Advaita Vedanta would be, who are you? And the practitioner would then one by one rule out certain things which he or she is not. And as far as I understand this method, it is assumed that the self of a person must be something continuous and unchanging. If you assume this, then you can, for example, rule out that you are your body, because the body is constantly changing. The body is not only changing on the long timescales, like in aging, but also minute by minute, just due to the metabolic processes. And in the same way, you can then rule out that you are your thoughts, or your emotions, or your feelings, or your sensations, or your perceptions, because all these things are constantly changing. And this leads then naturally to the question, has there been anything which remained constant and unchanging during my whole life, no matter if I was 5 or 20 or 50 years old? And then people come to the insight that the only aspect of their life which has never changed was that which was aware of all the changing things. In other words, the awareness itself. Presumably, the awareness is something which is never affected at all by that which appears in it. So it's like a screen of a TV which shows various kinds of movies, but the screen itself is never harmed or affected by these colorful pixels on its surface. In particular, awareness is not affected by the drama of your life, which is probably the movie you are most interested in and obsessed by. And then lots of non-dual teachers are ascribing quite wonderful properties to this awareness. It is said to be universal in the sense that all conscious beings in the universe are sharing the absolutely same awareness. So the I of you and me is basically the same I. Not two separate and slightly different versions of it. Furthermore, universal awareness is said to be out of time and space. So it never has been born and consequently also can never die. And space and time are just things which 
can appear in it. And finally, it's also said that universal awareness is intrinsically peaceful and happy and fulfilled and constantly self-aware. That's the promise, if I have understood the teachings correctly, which I maybe have not. And the point which makes the whole thing attractive to me is that you don't have to believe all this, but you can really directly experience it and convince yourself that this is true. Okay, in this podcast, I would like to share with you the points in which I am struggling with this teaching. My first problem already arises at the very beginning of the argument I have just shown you. There we had assumed that the self of a person must be something durable and continuous and unchanging. And honestly speaking, I'm not sure how many people today would subscribe to this idea. Let's say we have a hardcore physicist who also isn't materialist. Let's say she doesn't even consider consciousness as something very important. She considers it just as an epiphenomenon of information processing in the brain. Such a person would of course be absolutely familiar with the idea of continuous change. For her, maybe the lowest level of reality is something like continuously fluctuating quantum fields. And even on the macroscopic levels, she is completely aware of the biological changes the body is going through all the time. But this would not prevent her from identifying herself with her body, for example. Why can you not identify with a changing object? This was something I never really could understand. Also, before I came to Advaita Vedanta, I had a similar problem in a lot of Buddhistic teachings. I mean, in physics, it's very normal to consider objects as processes. For example, a star may be born as a protostar in a nebula, and then it may contract to a star the size of the sun. In its old age, it may become a red giant, and finally it may end as a white dwarf. These different life stages have completely different properties, and still it's the same star. So there is no logical problem when our physicist is identifying with her body, or probably with her body-mind, so including also her changing thoughts and emotions and the memory of her past and so on. I guess the problem is lying more in the consequences of such a self-image. A particular body and mind is only a very tiny part of the universe. And if we identify only with this tiny part, there's a danger that we will not care so much about all the rest. And this is indeed what we observe in our culture. Many people only have a very selfish interest in their own well-being and in the well-being of their closest friends and family. And this includes activities which are harmful to, for example, the environment. Typical examples would be eating too much meat or taking unnecessary rides with a car or traveling regularly to faraway places using airplanes. 
But identifying with the own body-mind also leads to a lot of suffering. Because we are living then in a constant fear that something may happen to this body-mind. Anyway, the whole rest of the universe is then seen as either resources, which can help us to survive, or threats, which may in the end kill us and <laughs> actually will finally kill us. So this harmful selfishness and the constant fear can be seen as two negative consequences of a worldview that is entirely focused on an individual body-mind. But this worldview, in particular when combined with materialism, also has its pros. Because under these assumptions, we can be absolutely sure that after death, nothing remains of the body-mind. So all the struggling is ending, and we also cannot be harmful anymore. So being dead is a state without any problems, because there is nobody there to have problems. We don't have this final relief when we identify with the universal awareness. Because this universal awareness will exist forever, even if some local body-minds disappear in it. It's just like a river with many whirlpools, and if some of these localized whirlpools disappear, the river is still there. And because we simply don't know how it feels when our localized body-mind is delocalizing and becoming the whole river again, because we don't know that, that may be a source of fear again. Okay, so far I have only talked about this initial assumption of the self-inquiry process, that our self must necessarily be something continuous and unchanging. And I have argued that this assumption is not necessarily true. But necessary or not, we are of course still free to become dissatisfied with our normal body-mind identification. And so maybe we are just looking for something bigger to identify with. Let's say this is the case and we start to unidentify with all the different contents that appear in our stream of consciousness. If we perceive something, a sight or a sound or smell, we say, that's not me. When emotions come or thoughts come, also not me. And we are doing this for a while and we are looking for something that is independent of all the concrete contents of consciousness. And eventually, I suppose, we will discover that pure awareness is what we are looking for. Pure awareness is, so to say, the container of all these contents of consciousness. And so it's independent of them. But I have to admit that I have never been in the state of pure awareness. A state without any concrete contents, except awareness being aware of itself. Don't misunderstand me. I believe that this is possible, but I have just not personally experienced it. And so for me, another problem arises here, because for me this container of all contents of consciousness is just an inference And I'm not even convinced that it's a necessary inference. Just because there is a sequence of 
concrete conscious experiences, must there also be a container of all these experiences? Maybe we can get some insight in this question by using another analogy with physics. Let's compare universal awareness with the physical universe. Just as awareness contains a sequence of conscious experiences, the physical universe contains a sequence of matter formations. But is the universe really an extra thing? Isn't it just the set of all matter formations at a given time? I mean, there is no extra boundary layer around the universe which does not itself belong to the universe. And also, we do not normally assume that there is something which is constantly generating the universe, in the same way as a screen is constantly generating these colorful pixels on its surface. Instead, scientists assume simply that matter is there and that it transforms its configuration over time according to certain rules. So, for example, in classical mechanics, we may describe a system as a set of points. Each point has a vectorial position and momentum. And then we have a temporal differential equation, which describes how these quantities change over time. So in classical mechanics, we simply don't care why these particles are consistent over time. We just take this as a given. In quantum mechanics, it's more complicated. If we describe a system by a wave function, then we can write down the time-dependent Schrödinger equation, which gives us how this wave function is changing over time. So this is indeed also a unitary smooth development. So also in quantum mechanics, we don't take the possibility into account that the wave function may suddenly disappear. It's just assumed that it exists forever. However, as soon as we have a measurement event in quantum mechanics, this unitary time development of the wave function is interrupted and the wave function collapses. But collapsing doesn't mean that the wave function disappears. It just means that it's reset to a new initial condition. And from this time point on, it again develops in a unitary smooth way. So in our modern thinking, we somehow don't consider it necessary to explain why the matter is persisting over time. We have got around this problem in a way because we simply defined matter as something which by its nature persists over time, but which changes its configuration. And so I wonder if we couldn't apply the same concept to the stream of conscious experiences. Couldn't we say that conscious experience is simply there and it transforms itself according to some rules, just like matter does? In such a worldview, where conscious experiences have no carrier, no generator, it wouldn't be very useful to talk about universal awareness or universal consciousness as a noun. It would only make sense to say that experiencing is happening. But what would then happen to all these nice properties which are ascribed to universal consciousness? For example, how would we in that carrierless worldview 
describe this state of pure awareness, where awareness is simply aware of itself without any other content. Of what could awareness be aware of if there is no carrier? And what about the timelessness and spacelessness of universal awareness? And what about its peace and inherent happiness? Well, these are very difficult questions. And I definitely do not have the answers. But just for fun, let's a little bit speculate. First of all, let's define a little bit more concrete mathematical model of this carrierless worldview. A little bit before, I have suggested that one mental state of consciousness could transform into the next in a way that resembles the transformation of material states. But I actually don't want to describe mental evolution by differential equations. Because I feel it's not really deterministic. I would like a more probabilistic model. So how about that? Let's describe the mental universe as a graph. A graph consisting of nodes and links between the nodes. Every node corresponds to one conscious state. And from each given conscious state, there are many outgoing links which end in other conscious states. So these are the possible successor states. And let's say we have a weighted graph. So on each of these connection links, we have a small number which gives kind of the probability that the mental state will make this transition from the first node to the next node. The whole graph is infinite. So it contains an infinite number of nodes because presumably the number of possible conscious states is also infinite. And the graph is simply given. So this is, so to say, my ontological primitive. The graph also never changes. Now let's consider a specific conscious being. The stream of conscious experiences of this being corresponds to a path on this graph. So this particular conscious being will pass through a certain sequence of nodes and links in the graph. And we can imagine that there are many other conscious beings simultaneously, which are also traversing through this graph. Now, in a way, it makes sense to say that this graph corresponds to universal consciousness or awareness, because all specific individual consciousnesses are just small paths in this big graph. And just like awareness is not affected or disturbed by its contents, we can also say that our graph is not disturbed by these individual consciousnesses traversing along its, its links. But what then about the state of pure awareness? This must be a state with very little content and with very little change. So first, we should look in our infinite graph for all those nodes who have a particularly low content. And then among these low content nodes, there may be some who have a link to themselves. So if you happen to come to such a node, there's a certain probability that you will loop to the same node for a certain amount of time steps, so to say. So you are still traversing this graph although you don't make any progress, you're just looping around the same place. And maybe it's this following a link 
in the graph, which corresponds to our subjective feeling of experiencing something. But because the link is leading back to the same node, the content is not changing. So we have a feeling of a constant experiencing of very little content. Could that be something like pure awareness? <laughs> I'm just kidding around. But what about this peace which is inherent to awareness? Well, maybe a node which has no concrete content would subjectively feel simply as peace. And this actually agrees quite well with what many non-dual teachers are saying. They say, for example, that this peace is like the sun. The sun is always shining, even if there are many clouds which are obscuring the sun. So these clouds would now correspond to the concrete contents of consciousness, which may be blocking, so to say, the peace which is behind. Just like clouds are blocking the sun. Only if you get rid of this obscuring content, the peace can shine through. Now, in this graph model, there are many individual consciousnesses who are traversing the graph simultaneously and independently of each other. What happens if two of these individuals are coming to the same node at the same time? Then they would have exactly the same experience, right? But this would only be possible if they have not yet <laughs> attached their name tag to the experience. I believe that if we have a fresh experience, then in the very first split of a second, it's a kind of pure experience which is not colored by our beliefs and by our history. So we are not thinking, I, Klaus Metzner, is now experiencing this, but there's just the experience without a name tag. A little later, if we are unlucky, we start to analyze the situation and it becomes interwoven with our personal history and we think about what this new experience means for us, if it's dangerous or if it's positive and it gets a whole mess. But a pure experience in the very first beginning could be shared by two individuals. I think there's no problem. But this personal history is an interesting aspect, which we should also try to integrate into our graph model. Let's say somebody is living an extremely regulated life. Every day he or she goes through the same sequence of actions, and so the sequence of experience is also very, very similar. So, if the person is experiencing the same day over and over again, this corresponds in our graph to a kind of closed loop of nodes. The number of different nodes in this loop is not one, like in the state of pure awareness, but it contains a finite number of nodes. So maybe I should call it a circle. But in reality, this person will not experience the day exactly the same as before. The person may, for example, little by little get bored. And this increasing level of boredom is of course added to the conscious experiences. So they are not exactly the same set of experiences as the day before. And so we see that we have to replace this circle by a kind of spiral. And along the spiral axis, the degree of boredom is increasing. 
So we see that in this infinite graph, many nodes must have almost the same experiences, except that a single or a small number of variables are slightly different. But that's completely consistent because we said it's the graph of all possible experiences. Okay, let's look back to the list of properties which non-dual teachers ascribe to universal awareness. One of these properties is that universal awareness is out of space and time. And this is completely consistent with a mathematical graph because the nodes of the graph do not have fixed coordinates. They are not in space. They are just a topological thing. But space and time can be properties of the experiences. So a certain subset of all these nodes correspond to experiences which happen in space and time. And there may be other nodes which correspond to experiences which are timeless and spaceless. So there's also no problem to capture this property in the little model. But now finally, what about the birth and death of a body-mind? Does it mean that one of these individuals is suddenly appearing in the graph, traversing for a time and then stops to traverse? Well, this looks kind of unnatural in this model, don't you think? It would be simpler to assume that this thing is always traversing and that birth and death are just specific kinds of nodes this individual is passing through. Or death means traversing to a different part of this network which the individual never has experienced so far. Anyway, I personally believe that this may be the true purpose of life, to let these individuals little by little experience the whole infinite graph of possible conscious experiences. But of course, because it's an infinite graph, this process will never come to an end. Even if the number of individuals is becoming larger and larger, as it unfortunately does on this planet, and even if we would be reborn countless times, there still would be endless new experiences waiting for us.